project like this has to be truly open for it to get a chance to become a standard. We really, truly wanted to build something that other people can build off and all of us can improve together because to compete with the big four, <laughs> you need open source. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Today, we'll be discussing the Flight Project, and I'm joined today by Kathan Umre, who's one of the creators of Flight. Kathan, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Eric. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Flight's caused a bit of a stir. It's an interesting project, and I'm excited to hear more about it. Perhaps you could start us out by telling us what Flight is. Yeah, uh, defining something in a very succinct way is hard, so I'll try my best. It's a Kubernetes-native workflow automation platform for you know, large-scale machine learning and data use cases. And what it does really is a different way of thinking about problems for data and machine learning, and it tries to essentially make it very easy for machine learning developers to take their ideas from their conception to productionization. It's focused, it's heavily geared towards productionization, and that's like has been our focus because we started at Lyft and we were thinking how to productionize everything, especially the complex use cases. And the word platform is because it tries to separate the concerns of DevOps and managing machines and so on from actually building machine learning applications, which means it actually includes compute with it. And it uses Kubernetes to achieve computation. So Kubernetes native workflow automation platform for data and machine learning use cases. People have used it for other things, but our focus is machine learning. Got it. So I'm a machine learning engineer. I want to build and deploy a model, and that involves a bunch of other ancillary tasks like getting data, moving it around, putting it in the right place, and I can orchestrate all those tasks with flight, gathering, Great. moving, munging, but also training the model, deploying the model, flights that orchestrated for that. So I think uh, recently there has been more literature on this. I think some people call it CD4ML, some people call it data pipelines, and so on. But essentially... What happens is when a machine learning engineer has an idea, they don't really think about hundreds of different things. They think about their idea, which is what you should. You think about, I have this cool problem I want to solve using a machine learning model. And I think I have found some of the data sets that I need to actually solve the problem. And the way they solve it is they actually go, oftentimes, either use a Jupyter notebook or a Python script or whatever and write the model out. But usually... When they're doing this, they don't have access to a lot of GPUs locally or have many times even have, don't have access to the data set locally, right? If you're in a company where data is, could be PII data or secure data. So then the way they go about building from here is they actually write that one piece of software. Now they have to push it out to a larger scale and like, you know, probably use GPUs or, you know, data that's not available locally. And, and soon they realize that, oh, I need to munch the data a little bit, like, you know, transform it into a way that I want to consume it. And so now that becomes another step. You, in a typical way, people will write all of this in one single application. And then, but if you think about it, just the data processing itself might take a large amount of time, might use varied technologies like Spark and, or, you know, um, maybe better served if written in some other technologies. And then it's possible that the model training itself could go on for like 
hours or days, depending on the data set size and the type of model. And if all of this run in one process, you have like various failure cases. The data process could fail. Yeah, then you restart. But what if the data processing succeeds, but the machine learning, the training process fails? And not only if the training process fails, let's say the training process succeeds, but now we want to tweak the training parameters slightly, call hyperparameters or whatever, but the data set is kind of the same, but I want to train potentially a new model. So would I do the data processing again? And so these problems start arising, and that's where flight really starts fitting in, and it starts shining. It's like, okay, let's split these two out. And in, in the case when I redo things, it should just reproduce from an existing older data set that I created, like, like the case of hyperparameter tuning. And in case of failures, it should just recover from my last model training checkpoint. And so all of this is like the encoded principles of flight that help users develop more robust pipelines, which inherently also automatically translate into production because you want that robustness and that reliability production. So hopefully that helps understanding why you need this stuff. It makes a lot more sense given the additional context you gave it. And now we said it's called flight, but I should note that's F-L-Y-T-E. And it took me a bit, but I, I think I <laughs> realized that, that was kind of a nod to its origins at Lyft. Is that right, Katan? Or... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I will not name the previous names of the project because I still get shivers from those names. But those are the kind uh, of nuggets that people come like... to this show for, Katan. Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, there so, we go. <laughs> so... I was not working on flight. We were trying to solve our problem. I used to work on a team called ETA. I lead the team uh, for the model development part of it. And ETA at Lyft is essentially the number that you see when you open up the app and or the fare that gets charged to you when you know you sit in the car or you're about to sit in the car. And both of them are very, very critical numbers because they kind of like play with the with the user's psyche at, at a level. Like you, you will not trust something if something says five minutes and it never arrives in that time. <laughs> or you will not like something if something charges you way more than what it should, right? So both of those are very critical from a completely user point of view and also from a business point of view because they affect conversion and they affect revenue. So I was responsible for that. So we had to build models and we had to rely on them in production because... We couldn't like, you know, do experiments and say like, all right, this, maybe, maybe this will work. That's not how you can deploy a production model. And this is circa 2016. So there was a dude in my team, awesome engineer. He, he would run these models by hand. So we started calling him model builder, <laughs> like literally, and then came across the project like that started building these models. We call that repo model builder. And it was the most insane piece of code that anybody had written because, you know, things were done manually and lots of like some Spark stuff. And it also had these orchestration bits in there. It's just, it was crazy. And then we added airflow to it, to the mix. And it just kept on becoming gnarly and gnarly. <laughs> and so that was the name. And in about 2018, after flight had caught on and it became something, we still use the name Model Builder, <laughs> still a point. And then we're like, no, 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 it's time to come up with a new brand name for this project. And people came up with really, really crazy ideas. Somebody called it Mamba. So I was like, why is that even relevant? Uh, and somebody was enthused by the idea that it should be a type of music opera conductor of sorts. And so Luciana Pavarotti, is that the right name? So somebody said like, oh, let's use one of those names, like Luciana. And I was like, 
it was just not rolling off the tongue. And I believe that names are something that should just be short, memorable, and do not need to define what the project is always. Because, you know, that's why you have taglines and descriptions and docs and so on. But names should be memorable and easy to remember. And then I was like, I just looked at Lyft and I was like, what if we do an anagram on it and like kind of say, uh, and our first tagline was take your data for a flight and it just fit in. And so it's like, okay, that's, that's, and that's how we sold it within the company. And it was literally in five minutes, we just took a flight and that's what we wrote. And suddenly it just, people, we got very good response from most people. They're like, they love the name. We rarely got people who hated the name. So that actually was a good sign too. And so we were like, yeah, let's stick with this. No, that's great. Good name. And then maybe tell us more of the origin story. You, so this was, <laughs> I think you said, uh, did I hear 2016? Yeah. 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 So uh, a little bit about my background, maybe uh, two minutes. So I've, I've worked across multiple different industries. Um, I'm in a software engineer for 17 years now. I have worked on banking, high-frequency trading, logistics, mapping, cloud software. And then at Lyft, I was doing, uh, again, mapping-related machine learning because it was ETA and locations and so on, which is all, you know, uses geographic data. Uh, When I was uh, working on ETAs uh, and I saw this problem, I was like, "This, this, you cannot be doing this. You cannot have people running on their laptops and like triggering these jobs on a remote machine and monitoring them. And what if the laptop closes and (laughs) we go to sleep? This doesn't work. This is not scalable. I was like, and this is... Yeah. We were a tiny company then. Lyft was a smaller, small company then, a smaller company rather. But I knew there were solutions outside at Amazon. And I was the first few people who started Oracle Cloud. And I had written workflow engines at Oracle Cloud. Their base engine was also, I was one of the core um, inventors of that. And so I was like, there must be something out there. There are cloud services also. And we looked around and we found one open source system called Airflow. And we we're like, okay. There were a couple other Luigi and so on. They didn't seem to fit because they had no real, like the the structure was not modern enough. And I think even Airflow, according to me, is not modern enough. But still, it was a little better than everything else. And we were like, okay, and I could hack Airflow pretty easily. It's just for Python. I was just like, all right, this is like, you know, we can do this. And over a weekend, we wrote the first version of whatever we were using at ET, the model builder. And that became over a weekend and we were able to deliver things. And it actually suddenly people were like, oh my God, my life is so much simpler. And of course, with the simplicity came a lot of complexity because we started understanding what do we want to do with this? Oh, we want to ad hoc run things. So I actually had a tool internally that called Better Airflow, (laughs) which took Airflow and hacked up even more and made it better Airflow. And we actually had one of the largest, uh, we had the largest Airflow cluster at Lyft. Like the actual data platform Airflow cluster was one machine, while our cluster was about 50 or 60 machines. Because we actually hacked up, did all kinds of things, made it work. And oh my God, it was blood, sweat and tears really. But you know, at that point, we were not really trying to write a platform. I didn't want to do infrastructure. I'd been doing infrastructure for a while. So I was like, I don't want to do infrastructure. Let me solve my problem. But getting that out, we realized that other teams have been struggling with delivering their model. And these were massive big teams like pricing, supply chain, understanding the you know market economics, dynamics. Those, those teams, which were very, very critical for Lyft, were struggling to deliver models for multiple quarters. This is a 
common pain point, it seems. You're not a big startup until you build your own workflow engine. I mean, Spotify built Luigi, Airbnb yeah. built Airflow, and, and you're running into a yeah. slightly different problem, which is not only Airflow at scale, 50 machines, but also this ML twist. And as you yeah. described so to me- We didn't know. At yeah. that point, I didn't know about ML twist. To be honest, like, I was not ready. I was like, okay, it just looks like a workflow engine. It's like, and then we looked at the cloud ones. They were just like terrible at that point. Like, to be honest, like the, uh, I, I love step, uh, not step functions, the one before that simple workflow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had used it in the past, but like, I was like, it just doesn't apply to this problem. It just doesn't work. So, and the reason why Airflow was successful, because it actually, we can say all the things about it, but it has done a wonderful service to the community. And the reason why it's been successful is because it, it found that problem and it solved it. Maybe not correctly because it didn't know it was solving the problem, but it found the problem. It's a serverless orchestration engine of some sort. Weirdly, even if you're not thinking about it, it runs the compute for you in a set of machines. And if 50 people are writing 50 different things within the same repo and so on, like all of the weird parts of Airflow, but it's actually automatically being used for running some compute. Now, granted, it was always designed to like pull things and like run things outside of the cluster, but but when you have a place to run something, people are going to run compute on that stuff. And not everything needs Spark. Many things don't need Spark, to be honest. And not everything, um, you know, similarly needs large big data processing kind of things. And so people start running them. And then, then that's when they start like failing over and Airflow just doesn't really handle that very well. And so we, we discovered that stuff and we made it work for compute at some level. Because for machine learning, compute is very, very critical. Like it's like almost like a requirement. And so hence it is not like flight is not a workflow engine in the typical sense. It is more of a, I don't think it's a better airflow tool, but it's a, what it's trying to do. It's like trying to combine compute with the workflow engine aspects of the stack in a way that it's very cohesive to the user, where the user only writes business logic and it runs somewhere. You forget about how it's handled, how it's versioned, how it's like, how all the Spark clusters, how you know when you maintain the queues, how the machines are drained, how Spark machines are handled. Hundreds of different issues that you get with infrastructure. Our aim is to completely abstract that. And so at some level, it wouldn't have been possible five years ago because we didn't have the understanding of Kubernetes or Kubernetes had not matured to the level that it is today. Uh, we didn't have like uh, AWS Lambda did a great service of bringing you know, serverless compute and making people understand the beauty of like just not thinking about machines and so on. Like, and now it's becoming more and more rampant. And I think this is a great use case for it. So that's how we found it. Yeah, and other teams started using, uh, came to us and wanted to use the Airflow infrastructure that we had used. And we are like, oh, oops, please, sorry, this is not an infrastructure. I built it for my team and we're barely able to survive with our own team. If I had another team, which is a gigantic team too, we would probably just collapse and crash and burn. So we decided to take the learnings and in a month, we took like one engineer from my team and me, uh, two people, maybe three, just wrote something quickly using step functions, which is a hosted service at AWS as the pillar for the engine. And then everything built around it, which we call flight. And that became extremely popular in the company. And we had about 15 odd teams in six months using and delivering models at a rapid pace. 
and some people actually said that it made it very easy to do stupid things at scale so uh, <laughs> so it had a very idiosyncratic api because of using a hodgepodge of cloud technology with like you know some kubernetes some aws batch we were the first users of aws batch all of that just caused a lot of inversions of patterns and made it work but could not actually deliver the type of user experience that the user should desire and we saw that there's like people are just using it and uh, we started talking to other companies including google and so on with the qflow project the qflow project was just a shell at that point 2017 december or something in 2018 and yeah we decided that we cannot build this on our own we have to open source it but we have so much of learnings if there is something out there we'll use it nothing existed at that point and so we were like okay we seem to have stumbled on some niche area which other people are not really trying to work on at the moment so we decided to open source what we have been doing and how we have been doing it because we couldn't like i don't think live could have built infrastructure on its own and we didn't want to right like as a company that's not our goal uh, at live our goal was to be the best transportation network not be the best infrastructure company in the world and roi is to be honest it's very hard to justify the roi in infrastructure investments in in companies like where where infrastructure is not the top priority so yeah we decided to open source at that point it took us a while because we actually we completely rewrote the version not for open sourcing initially but like for we wanted to rewrite and then we realized we should just open source it that's when we actually built it for open sourcing and about 20 20 january is when we had it open sourced so a long journey yeah I imagine it continues to develop along that journey project. Oh yeah, yeah, like the old one kept was kept on and the new one just slid right in and the old one we learned so much while doing this is that like okay for example we had a problem where all of our users were using one provider and we wanted to move away from that provider for running some big data jobs. when we want to just migrate that and in a typical world in in many of the software even today that i see some of the software packages out there you have to install the dependency on that provider in your client's sdk now if i have 200 teams using me how do i coordinate across 200 teams to migrate you just you just cannot and this is what spotify is use case they wrote a blog last month so in their block 2 they are saying that you know to migrate 300 teams to a, a new provider a simple case is kind of impossible and do that reliably at scale is it's like almost impossible right so we had that issue and we made it like through the learnings we designed it in a way that we came up with this concept of backend plugins which is like you know provider plugins and you want to switch providers it's a backend flip which flipped the switch and the user they didn't even know we actually did like um a rollout 5% 10% 20% 50% 100% 100% if something went wrong we would just immediately go back and and they didn't even know that they actually moved to a new provider and that itself like became and that you know spotify like that part a lot and that they became immediate partners for with us yeah so there was one of the learnings another learning was like how types are very important in a in a thing like uh, flight even though it's not obvious but what you're doing is you're writing functions 
let's call them tasks in flight and you're connecting them if you're if you take a programming language you do the same you write functions and you connect them in a business logic and once you connect them you can do it in a python like world which is good which is really rapid and fast and you know it can, it's it's exhilarating but the way you verify things are good is you run them now if if i tell you that every iteration every run takes 8 hours then i tell you okay go write your code and then i tell you there's this another world you can write the code in c++ go java where every iteration still takes 8 hours but it catches most of the errors at the time when you say java c or you know gcc compile as a software developer you immediately say like oh, i i want to use this go world because it will catch 90% of my errors which are like stupid errors like oh i passed an integer when i should be passing a string and because as complexity increases this becomes extremely hard to manage right and that's why these large programming languages all in our history have moved from untyped to typed I, like i was telling some people that you know punch cards to assembly to c is all typing and it's like okay that's interesting way of looking at it and so similarly in python nowadays you know typing is is interesting and that it is more and more pervasive so we decided that we want type safety and the reason is in machine learning you the processes are extremely long we want to catch these errors even before you run them we didn't know how to do that initially we learned it across the years this came up on our episode with great expectations abe and kyle came on the show and they they were talking about interesting things coming up in in the industry and they were like we've been talking a lot to the flight team because they have this perspective on typing that's really interesting and they they're like basically they're kind of leading the charge on on how we bring typing to machine learning workloads yeah i think even i have also like we're thinking of also writing this more it's very hard to actually explain it to data people sometimes because we've been used to not thinking about types but the moment you write software in any other these you'll be like oh yeah you know types are given and we like like think about services untyped services we st- we had that some time ago what that meant was send a random json to somebody and they will re- return you a random json and I, and you'll be like what is the use of this service you're like yeah I, uh, google like the lat long api oh, or maybe the what we call the geocoding api you send something to it and it tells you something it It's not useful. You say you send lat long, and it probably gives you the address. You give the address, it gives you the lat long. It's, it's a nice, beautiful way of describing the problem. Uh, it's an inherent way of describing the problem. You have to tell you what the contract is. If you don't do that, then you are. I don't know what you're describing. To be honest, like it's like it's opaque and hard to use. And so we believe that that actually that type of description has to happen. constantly even in data world and even in in ml world for sure because the penalty of not doing that is too high that means it's too expensive for people to learn new systems because when i read the code i don't understand what's getting passed where who's using what it's too hard to actually find these errors and too expensive to find these errors at a little later in time and it's too complicated to build systems and manage them at scale so we think typing just improves this stuff and so we actually spent a lot of time designing a type system and flight is nothing but just a type system and a way to connect typed functions and then the current thing that you see about flight is an inst- is an instantiation of that idea in one form you can have multiple forms with it 
uh, and that's I will leave with that thought. <laughs> I, I think I understood you to say you're kind of a protocol for a system that can describe typed functions and then string them together. And then you're also an implementation of that protocol. But you could imagine other ways of implementing the flat Absolutely. protocol. It's an open protocol. We would love to completely open up. It's part of Linux Foundation. We should treat it as a separate entity almost and open it up as a standard if people are interested. Because we have done enough research in this area where we found what are the types that matter to machine learning and data folks, right? We have, we have failed at certain things. We've improved them and like, like, you know, layered them. So yeah, we would be open if any there is any project out there who would love to reuse the type system or the, the entire protocol, we would love to reuse them. In effect, we are building something like gRPC, right? That's what it is. Yep. So tell us about the Linux Foundation. I forget where in the history that came up, but at some point you engaged with the Kubeflow team. They were excited about it. Other teams were excited about it. You decided to open source this. Yeah. The Kubeflow team decided to actually build something similar to Flight called Kubeflow Pipelines uh, oh, okay. on their own because we, our open source timelines didn't match up almost and, and probably some other reasons uh, which I'm not privy to. And so at Lyft, we had donated Envoy and we had had good success with it. And we also actually got a lot out of it, to be honest. We got like, you know, we, we could hire good engineers. We could, uh, Envoy, like even though we drove the initial part of the Envoy development, the later parts of Envoy development was actually done in the community and that helped the company a lot. So, and, and Lyft positively believe in open source. So we decided to open source flight with the same structure goals and so on. It's just that when we open sourced in 2020, the pandemic happened and it was a little tough time for Lyft in the initial parts, right? Like we lost people and I was leading a larger team and working on multiple different parts and I was getting completely randomized. And I'd also spent about five years at Lyft and I was thinking about moving and trying something else. And uh, at that point, I had two options, whether I, we wanted to, I wanted to continue working on flight and you know contribute to the open source project and maybe even think about commercializing it or i could just go to another company and get you know work on something and i was like you know this is barely scratched the surface and maybe i need to i owe it to myself to actually give it a little more time and if not it's fine i at least tried and i had not done much open source much uh, earlier I'm not a person who's like a big evangelist of any. <laughs> I don't have huge Twitter following. I don't do Twitter like so things like that was very odd for me. But I I like the idea of actually building something that had a different take, and so I spoke to Lyft. I was like, okay, I probably am going to leave. What should we do? I would love to contribute to it, and you can continue using it. And they were like, yeah, let's give it to the next foundation. And Spotify was already contributing to it, and Freenome was, and a couple other companies were. So they're like, well, maybe it's better to put it. It was very hard to contribute within the Lyft organization uh, under the Lyft umbrella. So we decided to move it to Linux Foundation. And we truly believe that a project like this has to be truly open for it to, one, get a chance to become a standard, to really make people believe that we are not in it to actually make. There are some open source projects that actually seem open source, but not really open source. That was not the goal here, right? We, we really, truly wanted to build something that other people can build off and all of us can improve together because to compete with the big four, <laughs> you need open source. And that's how we decided to give it to the next foundation, AI and data chapter. Matt Klein was part of the decision, who's the creator of OneY, and we were like, 
yeah, CNCF is not the right place for this because it's too much of infrastructure stuff while we want to focus on like AI and data portions of it. So that's why it went to the next foundation's AI and data chapter. And so it happened in, took a couple months, but happened in like February, 2021. And then earlier this year, January, it was one of the fastest graduating projects. It graduated and it's a top level graduated project now. And it, maybe it's worth pointing out as a bit of a side bar comment that had you open sourced five, 10 years ago, we might be talking about the Apache Foundation. I mean, Airflow is Apache, yeah. you, you, yeah. you mentioned Spark yeah. Apache. That was kind of the place to put data projects. And you know, now I, I feel like there's a lot of tailwind on, on the Linux Foundation in part because of the success of the CNCF and and then you're right, you know, Envoy went to CNCF and so that was kind of a natural place for flight to go. Yeah, even Amundsen, which came from Lyft, went to uh, the Earth Foundation and so we were like, you know, th- th- actually that had happened. Like Amundsen had gone to LFA and it and we were like, okay, we cannot be like putting in random places. So let's just put it in one place, right? So uh, that's how the decision was made. And uh, we like the Apache community. We just when we had a conversation with both, we found a better fit with the foundation at that time because of our history and past relationships. Great. Tell us where the product's headed today. I feel like we kind of got the intro on the history. What's the current state of the project? What are you looking forward to in the future? So yeah, so last year I also started a company to back this project. I think uh, really open source project need companies to help them in the beginning and even a decent like midterm they need like you know help by commercial entities and we started a company called union.ai of course it's a commercial entity so eventually it does want to make money off of whatever we do but our goal has been to evangelize and and build a product that becomes a standard for machine learning orchestration and orchestration is like a vague term it's a big term what we want to basically say is that how do you run your experiments? How do you reproduce them, get results from them, manage your infrastructure for machine learning and data? That's that's the goal of this project. And so I would say the true open source has been the, the last year. And, and I've learned a lot about open source at the moment. Like I, I, given a chance, I would, if it was purely for open source, I would do flight very differently. Like it's just, you know, and the reason why that is, is like, it's a big project. It's completely production proven. If you can take it today and manage to deploy it, we can guarantee you that you will not have a failure, right? We know that it will work. But the problem is that if you realize what I said is manage to deploy it. And that's because some of the choices you made, like Kubernetes. I love Kubernetes, it's required, but I'm talking to some companies and really big names they don't have Kubernetes used pervasively within the company. So it's like, you know, for those companies to even adopt, Kubernetes is hard. So sometimes, you know, you know other companies, it's even uh, harder. So that would be one of the things, right? You know, you learn this while you do this. But that being said, I think it's still a big power. I think it, it is going to be the default standard. It's just a matter of time, when, not how. And we think we have a huge advantage of having just like five years in the past working on Kubernetes data ecosystem. Like we, we probably we had a talk at KubeCon which talked about you know, using Kubernetes for stateful. So we had 2,500 people in, uh, attended because it was just it was one of the first talks that anybody had ever done. And we were like we were 
we were one of the first people to have done that. So that's great. But when you're one of the first people to have done it, you go through all the failure possible modes to reach a solution. And and that, those are the things we learned. So but last year, I think what we have seen is our choices and our design decisions have helped a lot. And a lot of different thought leader companies are realizing that and they are joining us force with uh, flight and which is fantastic. Even as a small company for union.ai, that is great because it just means that we are pushing with the thought leaders, but essentially getting all the brain within the community to work with us, which is which is great, which is what we we always wanted. Yeah, and the, and the project has uh, at least I, I can, what, the numbers what I can tell you is 20 plus production deployments now, arbitrarily large scale. Like, like the other day I saw a, a company and we have all these presentations on YouTube and so on, and definitely check them out. One company is building a biocomputing platform on top of flight. Another company is building a full geo, a machine learning mapping platform. Like it, it creates a digital twin of the world using satellite images and machine learning. And, and this is what is used in Microsoft Flight Simulator and other places. And it's like a fantastic problem. And, and to see all that happening on top of flight is just amazing. And like I was telling you about Spotify, 300 teams in Spotify. And they are, we talked about Luigi a little bit. So they are giving up on Luigi and Flow and all of those pieces for flight. So flight is becoming the de facto orchestration at Spotify. So this just, uh, it's been amazing for us. And we are grateful. The community is built with with some values. We, we truly value inclusivity. And here I mean beyond gender, race, uh, et cetera. It's, I, what I mean is knowledge inclusivity. What we've realized is that in the machine learning and data space, not everybody knows Kubernetes or Docker containers and so on. And, and what we are really trying to say is that don't be afraid to join the flight community and ask questions. We, you will find somebody. There is always somebody who is ready to listen to you and help you with something. And, and that's how you build a strong, inclusive community. So yeah, so we... We are good. Uh, we are closing in on thousand people within the Slack channel. GitHub stars are, are interesting. None of our uh, that was another analysis I was doing is five hundred people at Spotify use with six hundred people at Lyft, and our total GitHub stars are two thousand, out of which only one percent is Spotify and Lyft people, for example. So I don't know how what the GitHub star measures, but we one thing it measures for sure is that how much awareness there is and. And that's on us to actually improve the awareness. And this year, we really want to improve the awareness and bring flight to anybody who don't be afraid of the platform. Just come in. You know, I think we are working very, very hard to make it extremely accessible to every player out there. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and thank you so much for all the community work, the typing system. I mean, I'm just thinking back to our conversation with Great Expectations. It, it, it's very apparent that you're focused on community and technology and solving the problem first and and then trusting that that with success on solving the problem you know the the business will succeed on some level in the future yeah i think i think the reason for union ai's existence is to actually make it even more easy to achieve the same levels of things that you know larger companies with more resources can do think about us as your infrastructure partner Right, really, that's what it is, and so the there's a clear uh, like weirdly as in investors speak, flight is very upmarket. It's really built. It, 
it's adopted by upmarket teams, lots of like deep technological expertise and so on. But we want to be union that uh, the SMB and the down market play to help essentially everybody else create a level playing field. Nathan, thanks so much for coming on the show today for all your contributions and best of luck. This is quite an awesome thing you're building. Oh, thank you so much, Eric. Uh, pleasure talking with you. You can find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. Contributor.